Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, Chase, um, we're on to episode four, and uh, we're finishing up Acts chapter four, getting into Acts chapter five today, which uh, this chapter break comes at kind of in the middle of a two stories that really go together. Uh, so we'll try to get these in the same episode. But we're going to yep. see continued um, growth of the church today. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we've really enjoyed being able to go through the book of Acts. It's always a blessing to get to do that. But it's just such an action-packed book. And uh, today we're going to read a little bit about, uh, to start with, some people who were giving uh, with really good hearts. So we'll go ahead and jump in. And let's read Acts chapter 4. Verses 32 through 37. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. But there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned attractive land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, so a pretty cool story. This is something we've seen somewhat of a little bit back in chapter two, where we see God's people sharing with each other. Um, this is a, a, just a wonderful message for us today about being the type of people that share what we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But it describes what they're doing as the whole church or the whole congregation uh, who believed they have one heart and soul. And then it goes on to tell us how we were able to see that. And it's in the way that they were treating each other. It's the way that they're treating their property. Yeah, and I love the way it says it in verse 32. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. It just is a beautiful way of thinking about our possessions is that what is mine is yours. And uh, that's the way the early church functioned. It's the way they were able to function because there were poor people among them. And so among the disciples there, uh, it's, they're able to say in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. Uh, they were all provided for because those who had an abundance gave to those who had a lack. And there was, um, all needs were fulfilled in the early church. And this is a beautiful picture of generosity. And in addition to that, the apostles are doing miracles and they're giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And it says, great grace was upon them all. I like that description as well. And so what's happening is as they're selling uh, lands or houses, um, they're, they're bringing the proceeds to the apostles' feet. And the apostles are the ones distributing the, 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 the resources uh, as any person has need. So there's some organization of this. The apostles are functioning as leaders in the early church and helping to make sure that these needy Christians are being cared for. And there's a particular example here. Uh, this is an introduction of one of the main people that we'll see in some of the rest of the book of Acts. 
but uh, we, we learn his original name here that we're not going to actually see again later in the book. Uh, this guy is named Joseph, uh, but what's his nickname? He's nicknamed Barnabas, and it tells us that that means he is the son of encouragement. So if you're, you're not just going to be anybody and get the nickname from the apostles of Jesus Christ, son of encouragement. Um, and I, I guess it's funny today. We, we have similar things. Like I had a friend in high school who, who he was, he was smiling all the time. And so we nicknamed him smiley, you know, like it's, that's kind of the nickname we gave him. And so I love that this is more specific to what this guy does. He's like the encourager. He's the one that walks around is puffing people up or uh, trying to help them and encourage them and what they're doing. And uh, that's just what he kind of became known for. And so they renamed him. Barnabas. <laughs> yeah. And kind of like Jesus gave Simon the nickname Peter and Peter stuck. I mean, every once in a while they'll call him Simon or Cephas, but Cephas and Peter, I mean, that, that's his nickname. He's the rock. And Barnabas's nickname sticks with him the rest of the book. I don't think that he's ever called Joseph again. Um, so as Luke writing the book of Acts is introducing him to us, he tells us a little bit about his background. It is interesting that he's a Levite. Um, so he's from the, the tribe of Levi in the Old Testament, and um, he is a, a native of Cyprus, that, one of the islands there in the Mediterranean, and um, that'll become perhaps relevant later on uh, when there's some trips to Cyprus and things like that. So he sells a field that belongs to him. He brings the money, and he lays it at the apostles' feet, just like the other Christians were doing. So here's an example of generosity and giving with the right motives. Uh, he, he's wanting to do this for the encouragement of the brethren, and so he's giving freely of what he's been blessed with. Again, you might think, oh, cool story, but this sets us up for chapter five. I just love pulling the application away from this, that these people clearly trust the apostles, and they are just wanting to give with the most honest heart that they can. And I would encourage anybody who gives uh, maybe to a local church or maybe gives for other good things, have that same attitude, have that same heart of, of trust and just wanting to do these things uh, for, for the better of the gospel. That's right. So Stephen, why don't you, uh, you lead us into this next one? All right. Acts chapter five. I'm reading from the English standard version, uh, X five verses one through 11. Again, this forms a contrast to what we just read about with Barnabas and his good free will giving. Acts 5 verse 1, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your hearts? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval, interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? 
Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is kind of like the the record scratch as like we're reading through the book of Acts and Acts chapter two, they're generous in giving. Acts chapter four, they're generous in giving. And then there's this story in Acts five that's like, wait, what? Like, did that just happen? Is this the same group of people? Is this the same yeah. Jesus movement? Like, that's intense. It, it, and it's one of those stories as well that kind of makes it feel like the Old Testament. You're like, oh, wait, wait this sounds like something that would happen in the Old Testament, but it goes to show that, that God is a consistent God. He expects holiness from his people, from everybody. Um, and so there's this man, Ananias, his wife, Sapphira, and they do the same thing that Barnabas did, right? Right in the context before. They sell a piece of their property. And they keep back some of the proceeds of the land for themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's their property. Like, they can buy and sell and keep however much that they want. But what they do is they go to the apostles, lay it at their feet like everyone else was doing. But what they do is they make it appear as if they had given all of the proceeds of the land to the apostles. So they want the appearance of doing something good, um, but they don't do what they said that they did. They lie about it. And it just, it's very, I, don't, I say funny, but it's not funny, but it's like, what they were doing still would have been a good deed. Whether or not they gave the entire amount or not, I, I would have appreciated what they had done, and I bet the apostles and the church there would have appreciated it too. But yet they wanted the appearance. Uh, they wanted the, the pride that comes with giving. Um, and so that's why they decide to lie about it. And in fact, Peter tells Ananias that what's happened is, is that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And to keep back a price, the price of the land. Um, and Peter makes that same point in verse four. You know, you could have done whatever you wanted with it. It was under your control, but you haven't lied to us. You really lied to God about this. Yeah. And so a couple. And so Ananias is struck dead. Yeah, a couple of things on this. One is that God in the New Testament, uh, there's not a specific amount specified that Christians have to give. Uh, God wants people to give out of how the Lord has blessed them in proportion to that and to give out of their free will. Um, it's sometimes we talk about, you hear the word tithing thrown around, which to tithe is literally to give a 10th, but we don't ever see 10% given in the new Testament. That was an old Testament principle. And I'll just say that's a helpful biblical precedent, but it's never bound on anyone in the new Testament. So Barnabas, Ananias and Sapphira, they give, but there's not a specific amount that they like, have to give they're giving right. well they should be giving out of the goodness of their heart barnabas did ananias and sapphira gave but the temptation for them was to want to look better in their giving than they actually were um, they wanted the money for themselves but they wanted the glory of like oh we're generous look at us giving and man it just also tells us about the nature of satan um, satan wants to sabotage even the good things that we can do and twist it for his purposes. Um, this reminds us of like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, where Jesus said, hey, watch out when you give to the poor. Don't do it to be seen by people. Watch out when you 
uh, fast, watch out when you pray. Um, these are three of the most holy things that somebody can do, give to the poor, pray and fast. And yet Satan is active and trying to twist our motives to try to get attention for ourselves. And that's what happens with Ananias and Sapphira here. And, and I'll just say, I, I don't know all the reasons that the Lord had for striking them dead in this occasion. Um, they're made an example of. The Lord obviously doesn't strike everybody dead who sins. Otherwise, we'd all be dead. <laughs> but there are times where the Lord chooses a moment in time or chooses a particular person and, and makes an example of them for others. And maybe the Lord just knew that this was the right time. This was the right place. He knows their hearts and knows, okay, this is what I'm going to choose to make an example of Ananias and Sapphira. Because um, the Lord also knows who's going to repent and who's not going to. And he sees their hearts and he chooses to take their lives. Uh, Ananias first and then Sapphira both have the opportunity. And Sapphira is given the opportunity to come clean. And granted, she didn't know that her husband had been struck dead. Um, but both of them agreed to lie. Um, again, he clarifies to both of them, you're not just lying to people. You're lying to God when you do this. And so that's why they're, they're struck dead. And uh, in verse 11, it says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Yeah, fear Effect. seems to have, yeah, fear seems to have a, a role in this twice now. Uh, not only did it say that in verse uh, in verse five, fear comes over all who hear it, but in verse eleven as well, great fear comes over the whole church. Um, and so, naturally, it would. And fear, I think, we sometimes think of it as purely a bad thing. To be afraid of something or to be fearful of something is not good. That's not really the biblical idea all the time. Uh, there are some things that we shouldn't be afraid of, that we should be bold and courageous in. But one thing we should be fearful of is, is a holy God and serving in his presence. And, and when we go about sinning and lying and acting like this, uh, we should be afraid. We should be fearful of God and the judgment day that's going to come because of the deeds that we've done. Mm -hmm. And the church is incredibly generous and giving, and we ought to be that way, but the church also doesn't trifle with sin. Um, this is something that is uh, really important to remember is that God is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We've seen that over and over again in the gospel of Mark and now in the book of Acts, but he's also not going to let sin go unpunished. Um, when there's a, an unpenitent heart, when there's someone who is not willing to turn, there are consequences for sin. And the Lord shows it in this particular way here. And so this is going to set us up for other powerful signs that are done by the apostles um, in this next section. Did you have anything else on this uh, first part, Acts 5? No, I don't. I'll go ahead and uh, I'll read verses 12 through 16 for us. It says that the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. 
So this is one of those summary sections of Acts where there's a lot more going on than Luke is recording. And the apostles are the ones primarily doing these signs and wonders. They're the ones uh, whose hands are being used to do this. We do also learn that the people were gathering in Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. That's where they had healed the lame man back in chapter 3. But apparently it's also just a regular gathering place there in the temple complex, uh, a place that could hold thousands of people. And that's where the disciples are regularly gathering. And it's amazing to me that even after the Ananias and Sapphira incident, it says in verse 14 that more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Um, in verse 13, there's like, there is some fear there that like, Hey, like you don't just go up and join the apostles, but they held them in high esteem. But there are tons of people who are joining the movement, who are submitting to the Lord, becoming Christians. And, um, Peter? And that, that's really, if I could make a point about that, Stephen, I really think that that's the, the idea that God uses trials and he uses really hard things sometimes to his purposes and to his glory. Um, and that will sometimes happen in, in pe- lives of people today. They might go through something hard. They might lose their family member. They might lose somebody that they're close to. And it's about that time that they start thinking about their soul and thinking about the Lord and his purposes. And so as horrible and, and sad as it is that Ananias and Sapphira perished because of their sin, God was able to use that for his glory. And many people were able to turn to him in the process. And so I think that's just always something to remember when maybe we're going through a trial or something rough happens. That's right. The Lord can always use those things for his purposes. Right. And this is pretty powerful. I mean, Peter, uh, he's the one who is, uh, taken the situation with Ananias and Sapphira, but um, Peter, the Lord is healing through Peter with even just his shadow. Uh, So they're they're laying sick people on the street. And even if Peter's shadow touches them, uh, they are healed. And so people reminds us of Jesus, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And and the same thing with the gathering. People are just flocking to Jerusalem, uh, bringing the sick and those who are demon possessed um, and they're all being healed. It's very, very similar to these things said about Jesus because Jesus is still working. Yeah, that's right. He's still working through them and they've truly learned from him. And uh, it's just encouraging to see them kind of like they needed to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this next episode. Uh, We're going to see, we saw the first uprising of resistance in chapter four um, in reaction to the healing of the lame man. There's a lot more healing going on. And now we're going to see the resistance step up as well uh, out of jealousy. So let's read X4, uh, or excuse me, X5. Let's read verses 17 through 26. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. 
But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So, again, very similar to Jesus' story. Jesus is going about and healing, and the religious leaders, specifically here, uh, the, the high priest and the Sadducees, um, they're jealous. They don't like the attention. They don't like the, the, the following that Jesus and his disciples, that the apostles and the other disciples are, uh, are getting here. See, I mean, it's easy to confuse the two. And they arrest them, put them in the public prison, but that doesn't last very long. Um, we have a miraculous freeing that happens here. Uh, an angel comes, he opens the prison doors, brings them out and tells them, go back to the temple and keep preaching uh, the words of this life. I like the way it says that there. And so, even after being arrested, once again, they just go right back to the temple and continue teaching. So the next day they bring him in and, or they try to bring him in and they're baffled because it looks like they shouldn't be able to leave. Like the, the doors are locked. The guards are there. I'm assuming the Lord put the guards to sleep or something. He, he let them out miraculously so that it wasn't like a jailbreak. He just brought them right. out. Yeah, I, I actually was just going to go back for just a second and talk about um, my, the New American Standards translation of verse 20. Go into the temple and tell the people the whole message of this life, um, all about this life, whatever have you. And it's just really interesting to think about that the apostles have that message, that like they have the ability to stand up and speak the entire message of life, what it's all about. And we really don't have to be left wondering what that means. We know what that means. I mean, it's, it's about Jesus. It's, it's about him resurrected from the dead. These are all things that the apostles have already been spending time teaching and preaching that's been recorded for us. And we'll see it a few more times in the book of Acts. And so when we read things like that, I think we do sometimes go, oh, I wonder what it is. Well, we know what it is. We, we know what that message is. And it's the same message we're going to be teaching and preaching today. It's interesting that sometimes the disciples are going to be called the way. Uh, like the Jesus yeah. movement is called the way. And here it says, preach them or tell them the words of this life. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So it's kind of interesting how uh, he, Jesus is the way and his disciples are part of the way. Jesus is the life yes. and now his disciples are preaching the life. Uh, I think that's kind of cool. Then we got to have, we got to find something about the truth in there. At some that's point. right. That's <laughs> So uh, after they send the prison, um, they can't figure out how they escaped, but they get word, hey, the guys you arrested are right back at it. <laughs> and so they go and arrest him again. And you have to think about how weird that would have been to arrest him again. Like, well, we're bringing him back in, but like, apparently they can get out whenever they want. So like, okay. So they, they don't arrest them forcibly. They, they come and peacefully take them back but they're going to question them. And it just shows that like the religious authorities really have no authority here. Um, right. If they have, if they, if the apostles do suffer, it's because the Lord's allowing it to happen. Um, it's like Jesus that they only arrested Jesus because he gave himself to them. Um, at any point, 
he can be released, that they can be freed. And that we are going to see them suffer and we're even going to see them die. But it's not because God can't save them. Um, it's not because, oh, like these instances show us that like God is capable of doing whatever he wants. And it doesn't mean that he's going to spare his people from suffering uh, every time. But it does mean that God is powerful enough to do so. And I'm reminded of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel chapter three. Um, our God is able to rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we're going to do what's right. Um, God has his reasons for doing what he does. But our job is to be faithful no matter what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, does that bring us, I guess, into the last section here? Let's uh, sing. Uh, sorry, sing. Let's read. We could sing it if you want. But <laughs> I don't know oh, if anybody man. wants we're, us to do that. We were both all kinds of tongue-tied. All right, let's read verses 27 through 42. 27 through 42. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obeyed him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men joined up with him but he was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men, let them alone for if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So here we are. Um, they have another opportunity to be able to speak to the council about what they're doing, why they're doing it. And uh, I love how the high priest first questions them by saying, don't you all remember? We told you not to talk about this. <laughs> and yet you guys have continued talking about it to the point that you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And on top of that, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Uh, and I don't know what the apostles said to that specific thing, but you, you got to remember that whenever Pilate came out to the people and said that, I don't want Jesus to die, but this is on you all for wanting him to die. And he washes his hands of it. In Matthew 27, the people say, fine, 
let his blood be upon us. And so the, it's just ironic to me that at that time they were wanting to accept, Jesus, accept the fact that Jesus' blood was on their hands. But now that there's some opposition and it's given them a hard time, now they want to say, well, that's not really our fault. Um, and so it's, Peter doesn't even really address that. Uh, he, he is just simply stating the facts. Um, number one in verse 29, we know that you guys told us not to talk about this, but we must obey God rather than men. Uh, look, I get it that you all didn't want us to talk about it anymore, but we don't answer to you. We answered it to God. And if God told us to keep preaching and teaching about this, we have no other choice but to. That's right. Um, and very similar to yeah, what they ahead. said back in Acts chapter four, where they threatened them and they said in Acts 419, uh, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They're just very honest. Like we're going to obey God over you and you need to realize that's what we're doing. We're not just trying to be mean or trying to be ugly. We're going to do what God told us to do, whether you like it or not. And then they kind of once again, give a little mini sermon, very similar to Acts 2, Acts 3, what they said in Acts 4. Um, Listen, God raised Jesus. You killed him. You crucified him. And now God has exalted him to give repentance and forgiveness to Israel. And we are witnesses. I mean, every time they bring this up, they're like, we saw a man who died alive again. And it's changed everything. Verse 32, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So it's just interesting that they connect the Spirit to this as well. The Spirit is bearing witness to the resurrection with the healings that are happening and with his dwelling in the people um, that uh, obey the Lord. And so verse 33, they are mad. They're, they're ready to, to kill the apostles right then and there. But then Gamaliel stands up. This is really interesting. We find out later in Acts 22, verse 3, that Gamaliel was the teacher of who? Paul the Apostle. Saul of Tarsus. Yeah, Saul of Tarsus. Uh, So he has a more influence in an interesting way that Paul's going to talk a lot about his background in Pharisee, Phariseeism. Um, And so Gamaliel gives a couple of examples. Uh, He brings up a guy named Thutis, and a guy named Judas. This is, of course, a different Judas than the apostle Judas who betrayed Jesus. Right, right. I was going to say, both of them were kind of like, I don't want to say cult leaders, but they were both kind of like these guys who, who had like a following. But yeah, you're right. They were kind of like cult leaders. Uh, they, they, they rise up. There's a uh, hundred or more people, 400 in the case of Thutis, who joined them. And then they claim to be somebody and then they are killed. And so it's the same thing for both Thutis and then for Judas, that they rise up, um, they're killed, and then their followers are dispersed. They come to nothing. And so this is the pattern that happens. And this sounds a lot like what could have happened to the Jesus movement, is that uh, Jesus rises up. He has hundreds of followers, really thousands of followers. And then he's killed. And initially, his followers are also dispersed. Um, they ran from him when he was betrayed. Um, And in another sense, they've also been dispersed by the persecution that's happened. But uh, Gamaliel is going to say, hey, remember these other guys? And listen, you want to be careful here. Um, Leave these guys alone, because if this is from man, this this effort's going to fail. 
But if this is from God, you don't want to be fighting God. You want to be careful here. Now, Gamaliel doesn't go the whole way and, and fully defend them. He's kind of playing it safe. But he has some, his reasoning is not bad um, in that he is um, trying to help these guys to realize, hey, like, don't end up fighting against God. Uh, you don't want to go there. And so um, he, they call the apostles back in. Uh, they, they take Gamaliel's advice and they have them beaten. And then they tell them not to speak any more in the name of Jesus. So they're still telling them not to do that, but then they, they let him go. So we've escalated from just threats in chapter four to now they've actually physically beaten the apostles here in chapter five. And we're going to see the, the resistance continue to escalate. Um, and Stephen is going to die in Acts chapter 7. Um, James is going to be killed in Acts chapter 12. Um, but what we see consistently throughout all of these things is how the disciples never slow down. They never yeah. stop teaching Jesus. Uh, they, and here in verse 41, I love this. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. As a beautiful thought. Yes, they clearly they love the Lord. They love uh, they love preaching and teaching, and nothing's going to get in the way of that. And so that's the same boldness we want to pray for, and the same type of boldness that we want uh, working in God's church and working for Him. Um, and so next week, Lord willing, uh, we're going to get into Acts chapter six, and it's an interesting chapter because in chapter four and five we see them having kind of like external opposition. Right, you've got the got the priests and uh, the different Jews of the day giving them some pushback. Well, in chapter six, you see some internal conflict, some things that could have imploded, but they don't, thankfully. And so uh, we're going to turn our attention to that, Lord willing, next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Um, if you're liking what you're hearing, uh, please subscribe, uh, rate, review. Uh, we'd love to, to hear from you on that. Um, if you have any specific questions for us, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949 or capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you'd like more information about what we're doing or about other Bible study opportunities, uh, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.